welcome to Blink of an Eye, where we interview thought leaders and deep thinkers on trauma healing wisdom, both ancient and modern, as we learn together with experts from around the world. We also engage in captivating relational conversations with spinal cord injury heroes and innovators in our Dear Louise series. Out of one mom's trauma to integration story, Blink of an Eye brings you a collection of unparalleled and diverse views as we take you on an inspiring and unvarnished look at the true nature of trauma in all our lives. Today's episode is part of our Dear Louise series, where I have the joy of conversing with extraordinary individuals living with spinal cord injury, who both embrace and defy their physical limitations as entrepreneurs, trailblazers, tastemakers, and innovators. Join us as we explore what is possible in spinal cord injury. This episode is sponsored by Blink of an Eye Nonprofit and by Baltimore Mediation. Our next guest is a life coach whose purpose is to nurture the growth of individuals, including those traversing the challenging terrain of living with spinal cord injury. Amanda Walker also imparts her wisdom to those interested in being life coaches themselves. Those fortunate to be under her tutelage are transformed by her straightforward yet priceless strategies for themselves. So they can in turn focus on fostering lasting habits and a deep wellspring of self-love and self-reliance in others through the Best Damn Coach Program. Stay tuned. I am blessed to introduce you to Amanda Walker. Amanda Walker is the driving force behind the Best Damn Coach podcast and program, featured in Forbes and other prestigious publications. Her mission? To help women build sustainable habits and self-love. Through her BDC method, she empowers other life coaches to excel in their craft and business so they can empower their clients. Hosting the Best Damn Coach podcast and running her Better Coach business, her clients say her impact is profound. We found Amanda through another one of our previous Blink of an Eye podcast guests who lives with spinal cord injury and has been coached by Amanda. So stay tuned for an inspiring conversation for anyone experiencing trauma or working with a trauma-informed life coach or who would like to be. In a booming coaching industry, she is a trailblazer and we have a chance to learn her secrets for coaching someone living with spinal cord injury or anyone coping with a major overwhelming life change. Welcome, Amanda. What a beautiful intro. I'm so honored. <laughs> so thank you for having me. I'm excited to jump in today and see where the conversation takes us. Likewise, and just delighted to see you and feel that energy already. So I always love for our listeners to get a sense of the guest. 
So please give us a sense with all this life experience and business building that you have done, who is Amanda Walker? I mean, that identity question, right? It's it's quite complex. I think I'm a, a person who just desires to make others better. And that's like my my servant's heart has pretty much been the leader of my life. But I definitely most identify currently with being a mom first. I have a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old and I'm married to a fellow entrepreneur as well. And so much of the conversations we have in our lives are spent discussing performance and reaching full potential and challenging ourselves to get out of our comfort zone. And that started since I was honestly a little girl. And then by age 15, I took my first job ever, which was as a coach. I coached 15-year-old peewee basketball. And (laughs) for me, I am able to look back at that job specifically and realize it was the first domino knocked down in the series of dominoes of my life that kind of gave me this, like what it feels like to give cues and create a pathway for these little tiny humans to get better. And yes, it was basketball at the time, but I realized I loved it so much and I had a knack for it. And part of it was just natural that that's really where my life led me was coaching in various modalities from high school sports to becoming a teacher and coaching educators, CrossFit coaching, nutrition coaching, and now kind of stumbling into entrepreneurship and coaching individuals at a much higher level over the last six years. Really, I think who I am, I'm just put on this earth to help people reach their full potential. And I'm just also traveling that same pathway in my own life as well. Mm. What a blessing when we find how so much of our past life converges to where we are right now and we yeah. are where we need to be. Yeah, totally beautiful. Agree. Well, share with us, uh, continue that continuum from mom or 15-year-old actually coaching, then the various coaching experiences, becoming a mom. How and why did you create the best damn coach? And where did that great name come from? Well, thank you. I mean, it came from my clients. They would often, you know, I kind of started business. I I left my 10-year teaching career when I had my two babies after the second one. I realized, okay, priorities have shifted and my time is really sweet and short with them in this like young age. I wanted to be able to be there consistently for them and also still pursue a passion. And so I left that job, no plan. I just knew that something would unfold for me and my skill sets would be put to use in a different way and stumbled into entrepreneurship, coaching primarily in the health and nutrition space immediately. And I built an extremely successful business in that space. And in doing that, people started coming to me like, will you help me do the same? And so I had the opportunity to coach many coaches and see some of the patterns and struggles and what I would hear continually from them is, I just want to be the best damn coach I can be for my clients. And so I had this little light bulb. I was like, oh, okay, I really, I I feel very attracted to that messaging. And in conjunction with that, I mean, the the coaching, online coaching industry specifically, but also, you know, in-person industry has radically shifted over the last 10 years, primarily the last five years, even since I've been in this space. And what I am passionate about is upholding the integrity of that space and not allowing that space to become a marketing space where we are really good at marketing and we under deliver on results and making sure that our clients stay the lead of the conversation and not our ability to make cash. And so 
that's when I decided I'm either going to be a part of the problem and complain about it, or I'm going to create a solution and be a home where coaches come who aren't driven just by profit, but they're driven primarily by impact and really desire to be to hone in their craft and also develop skills to help them build, you know, thriving businesses. And so that's really where the name came, where the podcast name came, and that's our mission inside of both. Mm-hmm. You've given us a bit of a profile of those who come to you and why. What do they share are their hopes when they come to you that you say, ah, that I can meet and do something about and with? I mean, impact, right? They want to have a a client roster that's filled up of ideal clients. They want to move from what I call hidden gems to experts in their industry. They want to be able to live a a sustainable life doing what they love, producing profit that carries them, that allows them to, you know, take that money and give back into, you know, places and people that really matter to them. And to really know that they're being able to like have a hand in people's lives and really create deep transformation. Mm -hmm. Does your approach just focus on women? Primarily my audience is female-based, but absolutely no. I mean, our message is for all coaches who desire to be better. It's just that I'm a mom and often I attract, you know, you attract the like. So that is often our ideal client. Mm-hmm. Well, so in with the ideal client, other women, and you're helping them create these uh, sustainable habits. I've also read and heard that you help them develop self-love. How do you coach self-love? I mean, I would say that, you know, when we, so, so my previous brand was called Feel Amazing Naked. And that was where we, you know, when I was building in the health and nutrition space. And I think one of the messages that transcends, you know, all niches, I would say, is that, you know, we don't have the ability to support others as richly as possible if we're not supporting ourselves as richly as possible first. So whether we're coaches who want to impact lives or we're mothers or fathers or, you know, whoever is, if we don't see the value and our worthiness of who we are as a human being unattached to the identities of business owner, coach, mom, um, then it makes it really hard to move out of this kind of need and desire for validation or feedback from performative culture. And so a lot of that message that we teach in in business and otherwise is the ability to detach from those things and just know that we are awesome human beings as we are and anything else is kind of, you know, icing on the cake. Hmm. So it's just a, a deep belief that I am special, I am unique, I am here for a purpose and now you help others, it sounds like, just to really bring that into, to manifest that. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm wondering, with your mentioning that it's a servant's heart that also drives you, is there a faith component in your coaching? I mean, I, being like fully transparent, I grew up in a home where faith was never a part of our discussion. No, the word God, the word universe even was never really a part of it. But I would be lying if after I had children, I didn't start to ask some of those questions uh, more richly. And so Mm -hmm. I've been on a journey of discovering what faith looks like and what that really looks like 
in my own life until recently, I feel like I've gotten some clarity around that. And so definitely I feel like the, the more I've connected with, all right, there is a God that gave me a, a mission on this earth. And the more I connect to that, honestly, I've seen crazy, amazing, you know, opportunities to impact people's lives open up. But I definitely also think that there is a faith component to detachment, knowing that, you know, success or failure, no matter what that looks like, then 100%, I was created with a purpose and in a perfect image and all is good. Mm -hmm. It's quite powerful, isn't it? When Mm -hmm. sort of the scales come off our eyes and we're like, wow, you know, even I, the one who's building others was created in perfect image and that I can carry that forward because we know we're never alone. We know that through our failures, they're just passing and there's something much larger than we are that will always carry us. Yeah, I definitely feel like it's been a bit of, I mean, this is very fresh for me, but it's been like a little bit of like wiping the morning goo from my eyes and looking out (laughs) to the world with a new lens in a really amazing way. And yeah, I agree totally. Yeah, I just love that. I think actually it it takes us into a place where we want to go with our conversation, which is trauma, because we know that that can be a real central component of trauma and the feeling of being separated. And then for trauma healing, a reclamation, if you will, of oneness and knowing I'm not alone. I'm wondering with coaching and your coaching individuals, not just to grow businesses, but to sustain their own habits and self-love, how do you address and support individuals who have experienced trauma? Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to the coaching world, this is a, a delicate topic to, you know, walk through a bit. I think One is as a coach, just knowing your skill set and what really falls within your scope of practice and making sure that you honor your scope of practice and experience and credentialing. And also you, you bring other people or you surround yourself in your coaching practice that can also extend your, you know, beyond what your abilities are. And so for anybody listening, I think it's important to have those questions and just knowing, you know, where you sit in your own you know, coaching practice with with trauma or trauma-informed practices. I do believe that it's critical for all coaches to have some sort of trauma training and just understand what that word means, especially today, because we hear it so much. Five years ago, we weren't talking about trauma-informed practices. And I think that that was something that we said, like, okay, therapy, the world of therapy addresses that and coaches are uh, separate of that. And I think one of the things that I talk often about is what separates therapy from coaching. I'm first off, my personal belief is I'm an advocate for both and they go, they can hold hands, you know, nicely with the right pairing of appropriate people. But second, one of the big differences is coaching from my perspective acknowledges trauma. We don't discount it. We have awareness around it. And what we do as coaches as we help our clients stay future focused right? So we're looking towards where we're headed rather than spending so much of time in the in the back. And so I think there's many modalities. There's so many modalities to your point around trauma that can serve uh, your clients when it comes to coaches. And you have to figure out like what that right modality is or discussion or where you feel comfortable moving into from in the past as well. So I'm curious, what would you and how do you handle a client who 
needs or wants to go back to integrate the trauma because she hasn't had uh, a coach who understands trauma before and who can, would you walk with her along that path to then be able to look into the future? Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, for me, I feel comfortable and have, you know, studied and feel comfortable having those conversations. I think that he or she, by the way, because I've had the opportunity to work with both in this who have experienced, you know, traumatic injury, traumatic events, and are in a place now where they're comfortable and confident to share and to go back. I think for me, red flags go off when there's maybe some a, a lack of resolution around that that exceeds some of the modalities that I that, that I know like there are other modalities out there that blend beautifully and can couple along with them. And so it's acknowledging it and seeing it. And just asking the right questions of how often are we associating with it or dissociating with it and how much is it impacting that current life Mm. that then leads to, you know, what are the next best steps? Yeah, let's unwind that a little bit. And maybe our listeners could get a better understanding of what it is that you are referencing when you ask the question of a client, how often are you associating uh, with that traumatic experience, or how often are you disassociating? Can you can you delve further for yes. us in that? Oh, so when we say the word associating it, it's as though we're going like into the experience through our own ra- own eyes. Where dissociating is maybe like we're hovering above the experience, like out of body, third person, kind of seeing the experience, and everyone's you know, everyone's unconscious mind and trauma experiences are differently. And we're kind of, depending on how we, you know, we're raised and how we experience beliefs, mentorship, parenting, or lack thereof, influences in our life as a child greatly influences our ability to associate and dissociate into events. And that could be even current day as well, not even traumatic events. And when we, you know, I work with clients that are arranged, right? Some associate very quickly into things or more like people like myself, I tend to dissociate because I tend to struggle to, I've done a lot of work around just feeling emotion and connecting with emotion. But I share those things because when those things influence our ability to navigate our day in and day out habits, behaviors, desires of creating results, then from my perspective, they become worthy of discussion. It sounds like it's a lot of following the client and what it is that they're presenting and then asking these really probing, thoughtful questions so they can be analyzing for themselves alongside a coach who's helping them mark some of these repetitions, perhaps, that might then become stumbling blocks or blind spots. Yeah. Coaches who are curious, create really impactful results, mm-hmm. right? Instead of making assumptions, but really getting into the mind of the client and digging around to see, you know, at what point are these coming up? Where is it frequenting? You know, what, what's the the domino impact of that? And then that gives way to creating appropriate solutions to move into the future. Yeah, let's go back to that. Let's highlight some of those questions, because I imagine for a number of our listeners who are also living with spinal cord injury or living with others who have spinal cord injury or any kind of trauma, they themselves might take some of these very important 
open-ended, thoughtful questions into their lives. So let's let's just name a few of them, a few more of them, and what you were just beginning to unfold for us. So just for clarifications, what specific questions can we ask ourselves? Yeah. Well, I think context is important here around, you know, depending upon the specific incident and reflection. But when I'm with clients, one of, one of the most impactful questions that I think just helps us stir up self-curiosity is just for what purpose, right? When we're, when we're thinking things, when we're seeing things, when we face, you know, if we have a, you know, a, a thought that seems very pervasive and is frequenting our mind, then when we step back and just start to ask ourselves, like, for what purpose is this thought frequenting? What, why is it coming up so consistently? Then it allows us to step outside of the thought, right? I, I love this analogy is uh, just going into thought work because just to kind of close the gap, I think as well as understanding the, the way the brain communicates, right? Our, our mind communicates in imagery. And so when we have these visuals, like if I say the word orange right now, all your listeners are probably conjuring up some sort of self-perceived image of an orange. And when we see that orange internally, we have a thought about it unconsciously or consciously. It's usually in there. And that thought is leading into some sort of feeling that we feel in our body. And we feel then we they, we take action or inaction from feeling. And so we can trace this loop happening consistently inside of our mind. And when it comes to trauma, but I want to say just everyday life events, imagine if we magnify those loops. And so if you think about those thoughts as toothpicks, you know, during the day, I mean, the research used to say 50,000. Now I've heard that research extends to 70,000 and upwards thoughts that we think as humans a day. But if we were to think those, you know, give a visual to those thoughts being toothpicks, you would imagine that like 50 or 70,000 toothpicks being thrown at you a day it's just not possible to catch them all. So if you imagine like what could you catch is like maybe a box in your hand, right? And then that box is a random sampling of the thoughts that you're thinking. And of course, if some of those thoughts are on repeat, such as, you know, I, I don't understand why this is happening for me. I'm, I'm never going to get to that point. I'm just kind of sharing some of those really deep thoughts that have come through some of my clients working in this space. And we put those on repeat just by sheer random sampling. Those are going to be what show up in the box, right? And when those show up in the box over and over, where our attention is being given to them, right? And then those thoughts drive feelings that either move us towards or away from the results we're trying to curate. And I think that it's been my experience in working with a few clients, you know, who truthfully were friends first and came to me and said, Amanda... I know what you do. Will you just support me in some capacity? I, I think this is a giant gap in this field that has a dramatic impact on the results that spinal cord, TBI, you know, depending on the severity, have as an opportunity to create some massive, massive positive shifting, you know, in their healing journey for sure. We'll pause now in support of our sponsors who support Blink of an Eye. We'll be right back. Blink of an Eye nonprofit is filling a gap nationwide in response to spinal cord injury trauma for families in the first hours and days of injury. With fewer than 20 hospitals in the country having SEI expertise, Blink of an Eye has navigators, 
who themselves have been there as SCI survivors and who are trained in relational approaches to trauma, who are available 24-7 to support families, empowering them on their journeys, navigating their lives, and interacting with medical staff for the first 30 days. The nonprofit's mission is to transform the SCI crisis experience into an extraordinary one, despite the devastation. When you learn of a newly injured SCI family, call Blink of an Eye on their toll-free number, 1-844-41-BLINK. You can also learn more and get involved with Blink of an Eye at www.blinkofaneye.org. Blink of an Eye is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Since 1993, Baltimore Mediation has been leading the way in a relational approach to conflict and problem solving. They are national leaders in teaching and providing fully immersive and experiential online training in mediation and conflict transformation skills. Register for the next course at www.baltimoremediation.com. The quality of your interactions at work, at home, and in your daily life will be transformed. And you will create more well-being for yourself and others. Better process, better outcome. Baltimore Mediation. And now, back to the show. Yeah, I'm just really fired up because... You're hitting on, and for me, I'm a transformative mediator by background, and I have been teaching relational conflict theory and writing about it for over 25 years. And it is the quality in, in conflict, and then, of course, high conflict, and then after that is trauma, that we can actually listen for words, thoughts that are expressed through language of weakness and self-absorption. And especially when they've been repeated is the time for for intervention, usually just to reflect and just highlight it so that the brain that's on repeat can actually have a moment of oxygenation to hear or to, to reflect itself, which allows one a greater possibility of hearing others and or problem solving are getting clear as the way we'd really like to see it. And it sounds like this relational theory is really could be tracked in a number of the approaches that you're taking as a coach for people. Yeah, for sure. I love to, as, as you talk about it, I think sometimes we think that the modality must be complex to be effective. And, you know, I'm sure you discover this often and I, it's just reaffirmed over and over is the most simple questions, the most simple modalities are A, the, the most sustainable and also, you know, the, un, the, the mind loves simple. And if we can really just see it's, it's the simplicity of identifying that distortion. And once you see it and hear it, you don't miss it. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I forget the, terminology and psychology, but it's like you buy the green car and now you see the green cars everywhere, yeah, right? So you're, you're pregnant and now you notice every pregnant Everybody, woman. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think the same thing happens, you know, when it comes to anything related to, to growth and our limiting, you know, 
limiting decisions and beliefs that are impeding us is once we see them, we can't unsee them. Yes, right. And that's the right. beauty. It's the beauty. It's kind of like what we talked about earlier, getting the the goo, you know, out of your eyes or off your mm-hmm. glasses. Once we sort of are awake to something, we can be continually awakened and awakened, but it's as new and fresh mm-hmm. every yes. time, but we know it. It's familiar. Oh, here I yep. am again. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. so true. Yeah, so true. You know, I'm thinking too about whether it's everyday overwhelm, if you will, or the overwhelm that comes from the trauma experience. And overwhelm is certainly one of the key markers. How it is that the best damn coach might be offering some tips for those in particular living with spinal cord injury for how to face and work with gently or straight on with overwhelm. I mean, to your point, I think overwhelm is a cultural struggle and it's not uh, confined to any one specific person. I think the overwhelm triggers look different for person to person or situation to situation. But just to reverse into, you know, our our last kind of note around this is when we think a thought on repeat, right, it becomes the truth for us. And so if it is such a statement as I, you know, I am an overwhelmed, this is too much to handle, whatever that that internal dialogue may sound to you, right? The brain is seeking to prove our thought as fact. And so I always call this the evidence collection phase. And that's the really important part to call out is we think this thought, right? And let's let's just assume that it's something of like, there's just so much to keep track of, or I've got so much to do. And so that for me, when I think that thought is definitely a feeling of overwhelm, but I would also say I feel a bit anxious when I deepen myself into that thought. Or especially point, adding the time element. Sure. I don't have enough time. Or I don't have enough time. Especially for those who are spinal cord injured. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so then what happens is in that evidence collection phase, the brain is pausing and almost searching for other information in our trajectory to prove that as factual, right? And so then it's like, and I've got this to do and I've got no support here. And I thought I would, you know, often what I experience and, you know, for spinal cord too, is that the trajectory of time frame of healing is not right. I I thought it was going to look this way and it's happening slower, right? So there's this scarcity around time specifically. Mm -hmm. And so that is like the cycle, right, of evidence collection. And so we have to help our clients and not just in the spinal cord world, but all of our clients notice that part of their brain wants to, that wants to seek that evidence collection to prove that thought and find ways to combat that, right? To seek the truths out instead of the 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 thoughts that we're thinking are actually factual in that moment. And I think that is one of the most valuable habits that we as humans can begin to develop is seeking evidence collection for ourselves rather than against ourselves, either acutely or over the long term. Yeah, like that is a powerful reframe. Because we know, you and I know, that the brain is always searching for what's familiar. Mm -hmm. And so the evidence uh, collection can be to support the negative, as you've just said. But dang, how powerful it is when it's like, no, I'm capable, right? I'm lovable. 
I can move in the world. And then looking for the data to support that Mm -hmm. can be very empowering. And I would add a layer to that that I think is really important, especially when I was seeing, doing a lot of body work, but in, you know, a, a client specifically who is, you know, recovering from spinal cord is also that reframe has to be believable in that moment, right? So the the mind has to buy into yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It you can't spend feel... time having to convince the mind. Yes, it's exactly. It's got to be like, this so is familiar. If, if we're going from, you know, seeing our body, this version of our body that exists right now, that isn't quite where we desire it to be through our recovery and healing process, it may not sound like I love my body, right? Because that's not believable, but it could sound more like, and I'm just kind of pulling one is like, I see my body today for where it is. And I am, you know, working day to day to make it stronger or something, whatever that is, you have to, you know, you literally have to try the the hat on for yourself. But I do think that's a critical part because we are in a world that dotes on mantras and affirmations. And while I am a fan of those things, I also believe that it's critical that you don't just borrow someone else's. You have to create the thing that aligns for you and that has that you have total, you know, brain buy into in the process. Mm-hmm. Could you give us an example of that with somebody whom you've worked with? Yeah, that that example was a great one directly from a client who was in that place. Also, I mean, going into more of a another example for a female that was a, a male I was mentioning, but thinking of her as moving through her like healing and process recovery def- drastically shifted the way she parented as as a mother. And so what she expected, you know, things to look like as a mother weren't her current reality. And so she constantly was, you know, trying to tell herself, well, I, I am the best mom I can be, but it just didn't feel like it was meeting her. Where Where is she? She's at. And so we had to find and tweak and adjust something that would help her see that where she's at is okay in this moment and where she desires to be looks different. She had to try that, you know, that internal dialogue on for herself to find the best fit. It's so tender, isn't it? And so, so unique to each person. And then to one who's living with spinal cord injury, those various waves of overwhelm that might come daily that I could also imagine being really supported by a best damn coach approach that's so practical, uh, but also the long-term when when we dip and we feel overwhelmed again, or there's a new transition, or the children are a different age, or you know, mm-hmm. there's now a, a new job change, or something's happened with the partner or whatever it is. All these constant little dips and experiences of overwhelm that can be really large overwhelm because if they call upon previous experiences that were not fully metabolized or integrated, mm-hmm. they can feel a lot larger than sure. they might be experienced by other people. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I imagine that in your coaching world, there are many coaches who are not trauma-informed what might be a marker that distinguishes a trauma-informed coach from another type of life coach? Well, I mean, I don't think that first off that trauma and being trauma-informed practices are exclusive to life coaching. You know, I think they there's oh, yeah, so many niches <laughs> that could benefit. 
And and by marker, I think what I hear you saying is that how would I have discernment between somebody who is trauma informed versus somebody who isn't? Is that correct? Or or really for the for a listener, right? How might they be looking for a coach and and to be discerning? To use your word, I love that for someone who is trauma informed, because we we have heard regularly, repeatedly that working with a therapist or coach or anybody who's there, who's intending with all best intentions to be supportive, if they don't understand trauma or understand the spinal cord injury experience, it is nowhere near as powerful as somebody who is trauma-informed and then can also understand the spinal cord injury experience. I mean, I think the first simple way is just ask, right? Is just as a coach would qualify their leads. I think that, you know, the person as the patient or client should be, you know, asking, you know, here's here's what I'm looking for, because I think there's equal parts on both ends, making sure that it's the ideal coach that's a fit and also the the ideal client that's a fit. And then I think second is, Somebody who is trauma informed may not always advertise that. So I do want to say that that may not be the forefront of their marketing. And that's why I say asking, you know, is is a great, a really important part of the process because they may coach in a niche that that's not necessarily a, a, a frequent tool that they might have pull out of their toolbox, but they're doing it to increase their mastery and knowledge as a practitioner. So I think conversations are fantastic. And then beyond that, I think there's some nuances in the way that a trauma-informed practitioner speaks to the past. There's an acknowledgement and understanding that past experiences impact, you know, identity and belief systems. And I think that there is a compassion and understanding that exists from just a high level that in, that they understand that that influences someone's ability to move forward into, you know, the future they desire. But I will say, I, I don't know that it could always, always be sniffed out, if you will, without further investigation. Yeah, I think it's, we're at a time where we're beginning to see trauma-informed practices emerging in a number of different fields, but it has not yet been embraced, the, the concept, the awareness that no one can escape trauma in their lives, and somehow it still carries a bit of a stigma. So mm-hmm. I imagine that many coaches would not want to be advertising, and yet I I hope and pray, and I can see it and taste it myself, that, you know, the most efficacious programs and empowering support people, coaches and otherwise, will will happily say, and and I'm trauma-informed and it informs all of my work. But we're a long way off, but you're leading some of that. So it's pretty exciting. Well, thank you. I, I also think that there's education that needs to exist because with the stigma, I think that you you use that word, um, there's just a general misunderstanding around trauma because t- typically, and I don't want to make a rule of it, but typically when we use the word trauma or thinking, you know, big trauma rather than the small acute trauma. And so sometimes we discount that in how it impacts our lives. 
And I think that's the opportunity for just education on the spectrum and the brain. I always used to say, you know, like the brain doesn't understand if you're in a fight or flight from a CrossFit workout or you were just in a car accident, right? The brain is just built for preservation. And so equally, you know, there's just, I think there's a lot of education that, you know, conversations like this and others can lead to so that we're not afraid of it, first off. There doesn't have to be a fear. And we just know where our boundaries are, like what you're willing to take on as a coach or therapist and what you're not and surround yourself with people that you feel comfortable creating relationships within your coaching practice to send them to if you feel like it's exceeded your specific abilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, heal or heal thyself and all the constant work that any of us who view ourselves as servants or want to be in the human development field must always be looking back internally mm-hmm. at ourselves as well. I'm thinking, Amanda, about your BDC method and how it is that you are emphasizing not only coach mastery, but helping to build thriving coach businesses or helping your clients to build their thriving coach businesses. Wow, there just might be an incredible opportunity for coaches across the United States to build practices for particularly spinal cord injured people, Mm -hmm. for people living with spinal cord injury, including their lovers and their care providers and their family members. What What an amazing Maybe someone will come your way or maybe you will be that person. (laughs) Yeah, I think that the demand for coaches is rising. And the reason for that is there's just not simply a shortage of information that's ever going to exist. But the integration and the implementation is where we need support. And I think that's where coaches have such an opportunity to come in and really come alongside people uh, moving through whatever, you know, results they're trying to curate inside of their life. I do believe, though, that the healing process and the journey uh, of spinal cord injury is unique. And I think that it's so delicate. Man, to to leverage coaching alongside that, I just think it's, it is just such an opportunity to bring in the, the mental component, the unconscious component to just radically create, you know, a different type of result. So I hope that more people are are definitely fulfilling that need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. I'm I'm really feeling it uh, energetically that for many spinal cord injured people themselves who have done a lot of work and integrating their trauma and their trauma experience that continues to unfold uh, through the chapters of their lives that they might turn to coaching and take part in the best damn coach method. Yeah. Well, that would be amazing. And I think it goes back to the faith component too, is asking ourselves that question, why, right? You know, and no matter what our experiences in life and perhaps it's for that purpose, right? Is to step into that leadership place to be able to guide others who have come in that journey. And yeah, I I, I think you're right. It's an, a great opportunity to keep talking more about that need. Mm-hmm. You know, as we begin to wind down a, a little bit. I I would love to go back, if you're willing, um, when you mentioned briefly about the importance for a coach in supporting herself or himself. And I'm wondering what your methods are for you 
Yeah, as far as maintaining, yeah. I mean, I I think that it's, I always remind my clients and invite my coaches to take on the same belief system is that I would never ask my client to do something that I would not do myself, do, you know, for myself or with myself. And I think that as coaches, we are exuding or exuding and also energetically consume, like really taking on others' energy throughout the day, you know, depending on what your coaching model looks like, but working with one-to-one clients or working in group settings consistently. And it takes a great deal of energy to get to a place where you're really fantastic at what I call like not jumping in the pool with the clients, being able to hear their needs and understand where they are without emotionally investing. Because the moment we're in the pool and swimming with them, then we have lost our ability to coach from a neutral space, which I think is really important to create, help them curate results, right? Friends can swim in the pool as coaches. They're hiring us so that we don't swim in the pool with them. Um, So I think protecting that energy is really important. And so things as, you know, the way I support myself specifically is absolutely at minimum eight hours of sleep. That's just a non-negotiable movement is key for me personally, consistent workout routine, whether it's lifting weights or just walking for, you know, outside for a while. The other thing I like to do is get outside in between sessions and just throw the ball with my dog or something when it's not, you know, a million degrees here in Arizona. And get outside, get in the grass, get in the sunshine, take some, you know, breaths of fresh air. But simply too, is just when I close my door and I'm done with my day, I'm done with my day. And being able to, you know, create boundaries around clients, which has been a long time. I mean, that didn't happen easily in the beginning. Um, had a really hard time just transparently with some of those pieces. But I think those are some of the main ways I would add food and nutrition in there, mm-hmm. being intentional with how you fuel your body. But and then self-coaching practices to journaling, prayer, just meditation, just kick off my morning to, you know, be mindful of how I'm showing up and what my thoughts are, you know, coming into any environment as well. And I, I have coaches that help me just as equally as I support others. Yeah, I do too. I don't know what I would do without my own healing circle to be able to do the work at a high level. And, you know, I am so appreciative of what you just said that we can be taught, we can learn, but these aspects of being a neutral, supporting, but from a stance of neutral, I mean, that's what that's what people are, are paying a coach and a mediator for. It does not come overnight. Um, it is a really years and years in the field, um, staying grounded. I, I actually really like to go outside and put my feet out of my shoes, on the ground. Oh, yes, me too. You know, yeah, just to get regrounded. And, you know, it's a quality, the neutrality, relational neutrality that we have been teaching our navigators, um, our blink of an eye navigators with the nonprofit who go bedside to families in ICUs within hours and days of the injury when life is completely turned upside down. and. Yeah. Most medical professionals do not have the spinal cord injury expertise either where they are. And just this quality of constant uh, training and support of them to stay neutral and still empowering and supportive. It's so critical. It's so critical. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Not merging all the awareness that you've mentioned. 
Yeah. So to have a have a coach like you is really a, a benefit for anyone navigating something that is complicated. And then I imagine there's just boosts throughout throughout life as people work closely with you and probably take a little break and come back. Is that what it looks like? Yeah, often. I mean, I do love, I mean, I have clients that have been with me for years and years, right? And their their goals and their vision shift and we can grow through that vision together and towards that vision together. And they come, they do the work, then they spread their wings and fly and they're ready to, you know, do more work or some don't leave, right? And they just stay consistent and the goals are ever changing. Um, and I think that's the beauty of knowing your people and being in a place where you, it's one of my favorite things, honestly, is to show up environments where like open coaching or open Q&A where I really, or podcasts like this, I really have no idea what someone's going to ask me. Or when it comes to coaching, I show up in a blank coaching environment. Some of my, you know, consistent clients who I meet with on a lesser time, like maybe once a month or something, and they're bringing something fresh into the session. That's one of my favorite things because I have to Same. listen. I love it. <laughs> I have to listen, right? I have, yes. to, I, I have no agenda. I have no idea what yeah. they're about to say. I've got to be totally open, totally neutral. And I think that's so fun because it forces the craft to keep growing. And then you're, you've visually got this toolbox and you're trying to think, okay, do I need a wrench or a screwdriver or a saw? And what modality is going to merge with the right thing? So that those are one of the most exciting, you know, opportunities for me as a coach too. Yeah, one of the most exciting ones for us as uh, coming from the relational neutral stance as well. Follow, follow. And the belief that all the answers are are within the person whom you're listening yes. to. Yes, yeah. agreed to that for sure. Yeah, really beautiful. Well, Amanda Walker, uh, the best damn coach with the best damn coach podcast and the Better Coach program. As we depart from each other just from today or for today, what future projects or goals do you have in mind to continue making a positive impact in the coaching world and particularly in the context of personal development and empowerment? Our mission really remains the same. We have a mission to help 1 million coaches serve 1,000 clients. And so being on podcasts is definitely a support to that mission so we can let people know we're here to you know, help them improve in all aspects of life. And one of the things we do on a more on a smaller level too is we help practitioners create their signature framework. So if you think of many brilliant coaches that you might know, one of the things that each of them has typically is their own unique sweet sauce, I call it, but their unique framework that helps them stand out differently from, you know, what other people are doing inside of their niche. And so that's we love having lots and lots of coaches through that process. We do that in a live cohort. So they can kind of really drill down on this beautiful melting of their formal education, but also their life experience, which we find that coaches often dismiss. They discount that. And it's actually a really important part of what makes them unique and different and allows them to stand out. So our mission is just to support more coaches through both of those processes and build our community and create impact. Mm-hmm. Dang, I'm thinking, hello, all spinal cord injured people, um, here is an invitation. Uh, You've got the secret sauce and the signature. And there's such a shortage of mental health workers. And we can empower and support through coaching. 
um, in a particular relational way. So Amanda Walker, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to spend time together. Mm -hmm. Amanda Walker's work serves as the powerful reminder of the profound impact one person can have on the lives of many others. Empowering one person to empower many others, her commitment to those living with spinal cord injury is part of why she is the best damn coach. And her mission to help women build sustainable habits and self-love is lived out through the Best Damn Coach program. Amanda Walker has not only transformed her own life, but now empowers countless others to excel in a coaching craft and business, creating a ripple effect of positive change that extends far beyond her reach. The Best Damn Coach podcast and her venture, Better Coach, are platforms Amanda uses to share her wisdom and touch the lives of those who want to serve others. First, working on their own lives to be the best they can be. Her clients attest to the profound impact she has had on their journeys, reminding us of the healing role that service to others plays in living a meaningful life. And that to be a best damn coach to others, the coach must continue to do her own inner work. In closing, Amanda Walker's secrets for coaching individuals living with spinal cord injury or navigating any major life change are precious gems of practical wisdom that we all may learn from. Thank you, Amanda, for inspiring us. And for those of you listeners who are living with spinal cord injury, you might just consider the value of your own life experience and become a life coach yourself through the Best Damn Coach program. Stay tuned for more incredible stories and insights on spinal cord injury heroes and innovators in future episodes in the Dear Louise series of our podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. Life can change in the blink of an eye. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.